preached this service, uh, preached this sermon last service and almost missed entirely every blank I had for the slides and all the notes. I don't know where this is going to go. Everybody uh, buckle in, okay? And here's why. Uh, it's been a tough sermon to kind of uh, uh, create. Uh, it shouldn't have been, and really, on, on its face, it's not. But there are certain sermons that our adversary, he's against all of them. He doesn't want anybody to hear any of the truth that God has for us. But there are certain sermons that he just, you know, uh, goes extra hard on uh, as far as, you know, keeping uh, uh, the communicator kind of bound up and distracted and, and uh, defeated. Felt a lot of that yesterday as I was trying to finish up what I'm sharing with you this morning. Uh, he, he, you know, he, uh, he, he keeps you from remembering things that you need to do. Has anybody ever gotten like a new piece of technology? Like I'm, I'm using this new thing right now. And I thought everything would work seamlessly like it, uh, you know, had with the old one. But I hadn't loaded in all the passwords to be able to. Has anybody been in this situation? Right before you preach, has anybody been there? Yeah, so I'm sitting down there in the first service, and I'm like, I, I don't have any notes right now because this thing does not speak to the other thing, and blah, blah, blah. Panic. Just went crazy. So I'll share with you what I shared first service. Um, we need to pray. So we're going to do that. And you're like, go ahead, Mark. No, no. We're all going to pray. You're going to pray uh, for God to open your heart, your mind, your ears to the things that he needs you to hear right now. A lot of times we come in here, and we're just checking the box getting this over with so we can go on with the rest of it. And uh, I trust that's not everybody in here, but some of us, including your pastor, can get there sometimes. Uh, and we need to be reminded that God wants to interact with us, inspire us. He wants to show us his truth in the moments that we're about to share. So you got to pray for that to happen in your life. I'll pray for you too. Cool? Second thing we're going to pray is for this guy, that God would give me the things that he wants us to hear. Because it's not about me, never has been, never will be. But it's about us together joining in with the conversation that God has for us this morning. Everybody with me? So we're like, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to pray. Some of you can do it quietly if you'd like. If you'd like to turn to your beautiful spouse, you know, Rusty, you can do that with Angela. Anyway, uh, you can pray together if you want. You can pray out loud, pray quietly. We're just going to pray. I'll close this in a second. Everybody with me? Here we go. Let's pray. God in heaven, as we enter into this time uh, around your word, we are desiring um, for you to open our eyes and ears and our hearts to the things that you have for us in it. Uh, so on behalf of my friends, I'm asking you, God, to speak to us in a way uh, that we hear you. And if we've got other distractions going on in our lives, if we're just you know, looking forward to what's after this time, uh, help us to be present, to be here and to hear from you the things that you want us uh, to understand and to live uh, on your behalf. Uh, for me, God, I pray, uh, and I know everybody else has been praying this, that you'd speak through me and that you'd say the things through me that, uh, that we need to hear and that we'd uh, have nothing less. Um, asking for that, knowing that that's what you want, 
so confident that you're going to grant it and uh, grateful that you hear our prayers. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're starting a new series called The Mission. Uh, around this time every year, I, I tackle this subject for us, with us, uh, as we kind of launch into the next school year, another uh, uh, year together. Uh, turn to someone next to you. Here, we'll start this way. Turn to someone next to you and tell them what you think the mission of the church in general, 2,000 years of church history, and the church in specific here called Baylife, what's the mission of the church? Go ahead and turn to each other and express what that is. Some of you are just staring empty or, uh, or yeah. I'll, I'll start talking again in a second. Everybody share something? If you shared something like this, to provide an air-conditioned space for my family and I <laughs> to gather in on Sundays, glad to be able to do that for you, not the mission. If you said to play the songs I like, ha-ha, uh, to decorate the church the way I would. Uh, to basically fashion this place around me and my wants. If that was, now I know, I know no one said that. But if you ever come in here thinking that, I just want to remind you one more time, not our mission. Love you, but not the point. Are you with me? I said, are you with me? Yes. Okay, good, good, good. I just want to check. Go ahead and feel. It's a conversation. Kind of. Don't go crazy. But it's a conversation. Talk back. Some of you uh, uh, might have uh, aced the quiz here because you've been around Baylife for a while. You actually know that we do have a mission statement, and you've actually committed it somewhere close to memory. And it goes something like this. We can all read it together because I'm going to throw it on the slides. Here it is. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. Let's walk through that. The church exists, look at me, to glorify God, period. Okay, we could stop there. We're going to explain further what that looks like. But the church, in fact, everything that exists is created by God and for God, for the glory of God. It doesn't always work out that it becomes glorious or, or attributes glory to the God who made it, the stuff that he made, the people that he made. But that's the point of everything. God created so that his glory might be known by those that he has created. And everything about life is by God, for God, and should be returned to God in praise and in adoration and, and in, uh, in worship to him. Okay, so we live to glorify God. Everybody with me? How do we do that? Lots of ways, but principally, if we had to put like a heading over that, by personally being disciples. Some of you are sitting here and you're not yet disciples of Jesus Christ because you're still kicking the tires, you still got questions, you're wondering how this is going to affect things in your life politically or in relationships or whatever. But listen, bottom line is this, the best way for you to glorify the God who made you is to align yourself with him. Sin has separated you from him and the only way for that, to, uh, that gap to be closed, for that, that, that uh, offense to be forgiven is through faith in Jesus Christ. You put your faith in Jesus by the grace of God, you become one of his kids, one of his disciples. That's how you glorify God first and foremost. That's how we preach it here, right? I know many of you, you've made that decision. And you've come here today 
seeking in some way, maybe to keep your wife off your back, but, but perhaps you've come here with a greater goal, that is for you to be more like Jesus than when you came in. For you to figure out the ways that you can align, conform yourself to his likeness. Be renewed in your minds. Be disciples. We live to glorify God by being disciples. But this is the really important part. What's the next line? Who make disciples. Time and again, I talk to uh, fellow believers in Jesus Christ, and I hear from them, you know, uh, what their impressions of, of their church experience is. And they talk in terms of themselves, and I get that. We all do, right? We can only talk in terms of, you know, our experience. It's what we have, right? But, but we become overly focused on me in this life with Christ. The way I've, uh, you know, talked about it for 18 years around here is that uh, God's never called us to be puddles, pawns, these, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, collectors of his grace and his truth, and, and, and it just stays with us and goes nowhere else. He's called us to be these, these pipes, these conduits, these streams, these rivers of his living truth, of his living water. And so it flows to us, certainly changing our lives, helping us glorify him personally, but it flows to us so that it can flow to other people, those who don't yet know them, know him, those who do know him and need our encouragement. We live our very existence is all about the glory of God. We do that principally as individuals by being his disciples through faith in Jesus Christ. And that discipleship does not terminate with us. It's meant to be something that God invests in us so that we can in turn share it with those around us. Maybe some of you went all varsity and you mentioned our values, the things that we kind of couch ourselves in as we seek to live out our mission. Uh, anybody remember what those are? There's four of them. They go like this. Everybody put your hands in the air. Roller coaster. We worship. As we seek to be disciples who make disciples, we worship God. It's one of the ways that we do it. The second one, put your arms around somebody. Belong. We seek to worship and belong. Worship our, our Heavenly Father. You can put your arms down. Quit hugging that person. You don't know them. Anyway, uh, it's weird. <laughs> We seek to worship our God. We seek to belong to him, obviously, first and foremost, but then to each other. He's given the church to itself. You're for me and I'm for you, TJ. We are, we are meant to be brothers and sisters in Christ and to encourage each other when life comes at us and, and, and leaves us hurting and, and, and needing of help. It's, it's the church that's meant to come to the aid of those within and to the aid of those outside. We're meant to belong. One of the ways that we help those outside, everybody do this one, it's we serve. So real quick, we worship, we belong, we serve. We serve God, we serve uh, those that he has uh, you know, brought into saving faith. We serve those who are yet to find him in saving faith. We serve those who, hey everybody, hate him. Hate us. We love our enemies. And we seek to honor those who are not a part of us yet. And the last one is this. Everybody take one finger on this side. Make sure it's this finger. One finger on this side. Give me two on this one. And this is our sign for multiplication. The one will become two. 
the, I want to get tricky, the two will become four, right? Everybody doing the math with me? Multiplication. That's what we're kind of talking about today, that those who are in Christ will multiply themselves, will make disciples. These are the things that we value as we seek to live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. We want to worship him. We want to belong to him and to each other. We want to serve him and each other and the world around us. And we want to multiply ourselves here within the body of Christ and out there, seeing more people know who Jesus is. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. Again, things that we need to understand Things that you might even be sitting here being like, yeah, Mark, you preached this last year, same time. And you're like, why are we doing this again? I thought that as I was preparing yesterday. It's like, they already know this stuff. Why would I tell them again? I mean, let's, let's do something funky out of Leviticus, right? Let's go, let's go to the Old Testament, just, all, just get all crazy up in here, right? We can do that sometime. But I think one of the things, like I mentioned before, one of the things that our adversary loves to do is he loves to dissuade us from what's important. He loves to keep us from the things that matter most. And so he wants us as preachers or you as followers to be like, yeah, I got that. Been there, done that. Have several of the T-shirts that Baylife has issued through the years. All right? I get it. Oh, but do we? We as human beings are, are so susceptible to rhythms and routines. In fact, turn to someone next to you. Tell them, tell them what your routine, if you had the very favorite Sunday, what would the routine look like pre you coming here? You guys came at the 1045 service. What happened from the time you woke up until now? What's your favorite routine in coming to church? Tell each other. And don't get sassy and say, well, if it had been my druthers, we would have done it this way today. Just tell them the story. Go ahead. What's the routine? You guys got more time because there was more time between, maybe, between waking up and getting here than the first service. Maybe not. Maybe some of you are still waking up. All right. Uh, who started with coffee today? Anybody start with some coffee? The go juice? Yeah, I started drinking it when I was 50. I am addicted to drinking coffee, and it's the first thing I do almost every morning. How many people uh, took some time after that to maybe pray, study God's word? You're like, oh, I should have thought of that. Probably, uh, you know, got cleaned up, maybe got dressed up. Then you sat down and waited for everybody else in your family to hurry up. Anybody been there? Yeah. But then you came here. Maybe you've had that kind of routine for years when it comes to the church. There's, there's good routine. Isn't there good routines? There's great routines. There's great habits to find yourself in. I started uh, eating better uh, this past week after taking a long break off. Anybody been there? I'm wearing this shirt right now because I did that. Wouldn't have worn it last week, all right? Because it would have kind of been, you know, hey, everybody, how's it going? <laughs> but here's the benefits of eating better. It's not just knowing that I'm doing the right things. It's feeling differently. I went running the other, uh, just yesterday morning, for the first time in a long time. It's painful, but I got done. I got done, and I was like, oh, that's what I've... Part of what I've been missing in life is having this discipline. I feel, I slept so great last night. Anybody ever, you know, gone through one of the good habits and been like, oh, I mean, I know it was painful for a second, but it was so good overall. There's great habits. There's great routines. There's lousy ones. Call them ruts. 
We kind of fall into them. We get inoculated by them. We're unaware of what really matters because we're giving ourselves so wholeheartedly to them. How many times have I listened to a dad who starts out in the beginning wanting to be a great provider for his family and and, and works hard to be able to do so, but becomes so uh, unaware of the cost of his hard work in his home that as he's providing all that he can provide monetarily to his family, they're missing out on what they really need, which is him. And so they get... And ladies, you can do that too, or, or we can do it in different ways. We get so wrapped up with something that was in the initial stages a good thing, but became a bad thing because we just, you know, a uh, frog in the kettle. Anybody remember that story? Apparently, I think this has been debunked, but apparently if you put a frog or any amphibian in a kettle and you just turn the, the boiling, you know, turn, it's kind of gross. Enjoy your lunch. Anyway, uh, uh, I don't know how they figured this out, but, but frogs won't jump out of a boiling pot. Because they gradually, their body regulates with the, the heat as it goes up. And eventually, it will be their end. Why? Because they just don't see what's going on around them. I'm in water. This is my habitat. My body's changing. That's what I do. But they don't see until the, until the end, until the very <laughs> too lateness of that situation, that they've been in a situation that their routine has taken them away from health. <laughs> Happens in churches all the time. We've got, as a church, one life to live, one life to give. As individuals who follow Jesus, we've got one life to live, one life to give. My question to us as we start this series is what are we giving it to? What are we as a church giving ourselves to? I pray that all of what we do is rooted in what we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes. Because churches can get sideways. They can make it about the air conditioning and my choices and my desires and not about Jesus and his mission. But what about you as an individual? What about me? You know, one of the reasons that this uh, sermon is probably one that I'm like, oh, I'll just skip that, is because it's so convicting. Like pastors, just so you know, are normal, kind of. But we have the same kind of struggles the same kind of, like we know that we're meant to be the, the templates or the, the, the examples for our flock in, in doing these things, and yet we don't want to do them for the same th- reasons that you don't want to do them. We, we're selfish, and we, we get distracted. We make, you know, uh, different um, missions in our, in our leading of our churches. We want bigger and more for all the wrong reasons. And so it's so good on the one hand, it's so convicting on the other for us to even, for me even, to enter into this conversation. It's easy for a church to leave mission mode and enter maintenance mode. Happens all the time. That's why so many churches close their doors every year. People forgot the mission and got off on everything else. They uh, settled for being complacent. Uh, We just got done singing a song about Um, God being enough and us being content. Content's fine. Complacent? No bueno. That's Spanish, I think. Complacent's no good. Good enough is not good enough. Complacency is almost always uh, the product of a desire for convenience, especially in the day and age that we live in. uh, Christians love the convenient. 
Now, we just went through COVID, and I had a whole bunch of stats that have been basically uh, produced by research companies that I could have rattled off here for you. Uh, but they're all kind of discouraging. Church is going in the wrong direction. Uh, church attendance is down, all age groups. Uh, uh, church uh, attendance, especially during COVID, we can understandably you know, note or accept that Things kind of went south there for a while as, as the country shut down. And, and, and here, I'll give you one ray of sunshine. Things are better than they were back when the world shut its doors. But we're not seeing a return. Uh, for the first time in our nation's history in 2020, less than half of the country uh, reported that they go to church. People aren't leaving and going to other religions anymore. They're just leaving just done. COVID certainly uh, uh, produced that in a lot of families who have yet to come back to this church or other churches. They just got used to not going. Routine. And listen, I'm so grateful that we have these live streams. Who was grateful for that during COVID? We couldn't have hung out at all, right? I'm so grateful that we got the internet and ways to... Can I just wave a flag here for a second? I think... As great as a live stream is and a great way for us to ingest, uh, you know, God's word and be a part of his church, it's also a convenience that can stand in the way of us experiencing body life the way I think it God intends it. Now, listen, I'm, I'm, I don't know which camera's on, but it, it, okay, good. If, if I'm talking to you and you live somewhere where you can't make it here, that's great. And if I'm talking to you and you're on vacation and, and this is what you're doing instead of, you know, being here, hey, that's great. But if I'm talking to you and you live on Windhorst <laughs> and it's just been easier for you to do, you know, church with Cheerios in your chair, and that was fun. Here, here's what I'm wondering. And listen, it's not, it's not in and of itself a sinful thing to, to watch church online. Is everybody with me on that? I do it when I'm not here. We're good. But it is a cautionary thing for us to, in one more way, make our life with Christ fit the rest of our lives as opposed to making the rest of our lives fit our life with Christ. Does everybody get the dissonance there? And we Americans love what's convenient. We love doing the very least of what we have to do. When my kids played Little League Baseball, I only served the two hours in the snack bar. Didn't try to go above and beyond on that one. It was what was required of me. I got in, I got out, and I was done. And so many Christians come to the Christ life, come to the body life, and they say, what's the very least that I can give you? Okay. That's why I'm not going to get through any of my notes today. But just listen to me, will you? Will you please listen to me? I love you guys. I love this church. I, I've, I've, I've done my best not perfectly, but I've done my best for 18 years to lead us in the direction that God would have us go. And no matter what the next iterations of Baylife Church bring us, at the heart of who we are is the glory of God being brought about by us being his disciples who make disciples. I don't want us to settle for less. I don't want us to grow complacent because of convenience. I don't want us to continue to see contraction. That's the other C that I had for you. When convenience rules, the church contracts, shrinks. 
And just so we're clear, anytime someone asks me, it's always what happens. People find out I'm a pastor out there in the world. The next question coming, almost always, is how many people go to your church? I don't know why people, like, are they trying to, you know, figure out if they're going to, you know, I don't know, treat me this way or this way, depending on how many people, you know, we have, you know, have at Bailey. And I'm like, all right. So I never tell them. Ha, ha, ha. In fact, if you came up to me and said, hey, how many people go to our church? I will never tell you the number. If I do, you can punch me in the face, okay? <laughs> Don't really do that. But here's why. Because every pastor who ever gets asked that question should have just one answer. And the answer is what? Not enough. You've heard me preach before. It's not enough. Now listen to me. There's not enough p- people in Bay Life uh, because or not because, I need a bigger group so that I can go to the pastor, you know, gatherings and say, we're this big and you're that big and we're better and you're worse. Does it matter to me who has more? If it's more at First Baptist or more at Bell Shoals or more at Fishhawk Fellowship or more at the church that you left because they weren't doing it right or wherever, I don't care who has more. I want them all to have more. Because the aim of the church of Jesus Christ, not just this one, but all of them, is to be disciples who make disciples. When I look at this room, I don't look at like who's not here in this room. I look at this room and I want you to do this. Look at this room and say who's not here in the kingdom of God. This isn't forever. We're gonna transition from this place into a place of eternal dwelling. And when that comes, it's done. And the church can't be on its mission anymore because it's over. And so we have, however much time God's given us in this life, however much time God has given us as his church together to see as many of our friends and family and coworkers and strangers that we bump into come into the fellowship of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Be discipled and grow up in the faith so that they can join us in this mission of seeing more people know and follow Jesus Christ. I don't care how many we have. Of course, I I will always say more because there's always people out there who need Jesus. This is why I'm not going to get through anything today. Let me just wrap that up one more time with you by reading together our mission the mission of the whole church, but it's our mission in our words. Say it with me. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. In the time that I've left, I'm going to talk through four verses, a couple of them really familiar in Matthew 28, Uh, a couple of them that won't be as familiar, I'm guessing, uh, because they don't get a lot of run. Um, Matthew 28 is an interesting chapter in Matthew's gospel. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's gospel uh, doesn't have a lot on the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, and, and the uh, interactions that Jesus has as a resurrected Savior with his disciples. They just got the one. In fact, Matthew 28, the last chapter of Matthew's gospel, starts with the resurrection. Uh, Jesus uh, resurrects from the grave in verse 1. Uh, uh, Mary and Mary, the Marys, uh, Magdalene and probably Mary, the mother of Cleopas. There was a lot of Marys in the Bible, just so you know. But these two Marys come up uh, to the tomb to, to basically uh, treat Jesus' body with some spices, and they meet an angel who says he's not here. They freak out. They start running. I'm paraphrasing. 
It's in the Greek. But they freak out and they start running uh, from the garden. They actually bump into Jesus himself, all right? And, and Jesus says this to them in verse 10. He says, hey, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So as we pick things up in chapter 28, verse 16, that's what's happening. In between, there's this little discussion between the Jewish leaders who crucified Jesus and the Roman soldiers who were charged with watching his tomb. The Roman soldiers said, hey, man, he just walked out. And the Jewish leader says, well, that's not our story. We're going to say that his disciples came and took his body, and uh, we're going to pay you to say that. The first uh, instance of fake news, maybe, uh, right there. All right. Uh, but in between, we don't have a lot of other things. Luke and John tell us a lot more about the interactions that Jesus has uh, between himself and the disciples. But, but Matthew fasts forwards to this meeting in Galilee. If you don't know where Galilee is, here we are. This is the uh, Mediterranean coast. This is Israel. And right down here in the southern part is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem uh, is, is basically, you know, three or four hours drive uh, from a place called Galilee. And Galilee is where most of Jesus' work took place. And Jesus says, meet me there. I got something to tell you. In verse 16, it says this. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. We don't know exactly what mountain that is. A lot of experts think it's this mountain called Tabor, um, but we're not sure of that. But Jesus loved him some mountains, didn't he? He was always going up on the mountain, whether it was in chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel to do the Sermon on the Mount pretty great stuff. He, he taught everybody this is what it's like to live life in the kingdom of God. Pretty cool. And then in Matthew 17, he goes up on another mountain. He takes a few of his disciples with him, and he has what as we know to be the transfiguration. He becomes as he truly is. He reveals his glory to his disciples, and they freak out. And Peter says, let me build you a tent. Read it. It's all in there. But, but he basically reveals his person, his true person, there on that mountain. And then he dies on another hill, resurrects, and he says, hey, guys, meet me on one more mountain. I got something I need to tell you. So they did. Verse 17 is a verse that kind of punched me right between the eyes as I was studying this week because I don't remember ever preaching it. I just skip right to the stuff that we all know, verses 18, 19, and 20. But let's talk about 17 for a second, shall we? This is what Matthew reports there. They get up on the mountain, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Okay, if you don't know if you can trust your Bibles, here's one of the reasons you can. The Bible just tells the truth. If the Bible was this, you know, crafted from nothing document, um, you know, espousing this great Savior and speaking of this one true faith or religion, you could guess that probably those writers wouldn't put in the bad stuff. But here we are, these disciples, these 11 Maybe more. We'll talk about that in a second. They've come to see the risen Savior. And there's some worship happening. But eat, can you imagine, in, in the presence of someone who was dead and is now alive, who called his shot like Babe Ruth, I'm coming back, right? He's standing in front of them, and there's still amongst this group, however it's working, some who doubt. Scholars have tried to figure this out. Uh, little verse out. Is it just the 11? And, and there are some in the 11 who worship and some in the 11 who doubt. You can kind of change the, the, the Greek words around. You can read this verse to say when they saw him, they worshiped and they doubted. So we're all the 11 kind of worshiping at the same time as they were like, I don't know. 
the, the explanation that I uh, uh, align with the most is that there's probably some others beyond the 11, other followers who have you know, gathered with them and headed to this mountain. And the 11 who had already seen, as reported by Luke and John, Luke and John uh, you know, the risen Savior, Thomas had asked his questions and Jesus had done the whole, hey man, check this out and, and you know, look at my hand. And, and, and they had been assured that Jesus was who he really was and had risen from the grave. They were the 11 who were worshiping. Maybe there were others present. This was their first time and they're like, oh, I don't know, this is weird. I, People coming back from the dead. Like if one of your loved ones came back from the dead today, showed up at your house, how are you doing? You're going to have lunch like normal or you're going to, you know, you're going to have some questions. And so, uh, yeah, there were some there who died. But regardless of which of those iterations is the actual one, uh, the, the baseline, the, the truth that we're experiencing here is something that's been present in the church for 2,000 years. There's always going to be people who are worshiping Jesus all in. And then there's going to be people, even amongst those who uh, count themselves as followers, who have doubts. Doubts are fine, but doubts over-entertained, doubts focused on too much, become these ruts, these, these dissuaders, these distractions that can keep us from the mission that God has called us to. That word for doubted there in verse 17 is the Greek word distazo. Everybody say distazo. Yeah, it means doubt. It's translated that mostly in our New Testaments, but it's also translated hesitate or waver. You're kind of like, eh. It's almost like toe in the water as opposed to diving in. Are you with me? Worshipers are all in people. They see Jesus for who he really is. They understand that he is as he says he is. He's all powerful. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above anything I could ask or thanks. And so they're like, let's go. In faith, I'm in. Let's go. But these hesitators, these waverers, they're like, let's not get out of control here. Let's not... You know, I, I believe, but I don't know if I believe so much that I'm going to go, you know, talk to some of my friends about Jesus or, or risk, you know, uh, you know, social ridicule online for, for making a, a claim of faith. Some were all in. Some were not. My question today is where are we as a church? Are we all in? Certainly, not all of us, maybe. Some of us are trying to figure this out, and you're like, man, Mark, coming in heavy today. Uh, listen, God's patient with us, but then there's some of us who are just like, ugh, I'll just kind of coast, I'll do the very least, I'll, I'll you know, uh, do whatever's convenient, and don't talk to me about the mission, I give. Don't talk to me about the mission, I serve in kids' ministry. Don't talk to me about the mission, I'm, I'm doing my part here. You know, the only way the mission truly happens is when people who uh, utterly worship their God get uh, compelled by their love for him and just take off. You may remember the story of the disciples in the, on the lake, it's the same place, Galilee, Sea of Galilee. They're out there on this, uh, not really a sea, it's more of a big lake. And uh, a huge storm comes up, their boat's going to sink, and Jesus decides to walk out on the water. Who's remembered that story? Anybody remember that story? One of my favorite stories of all time. It's one of my favorite stories because here comes Jesus and all 12 of the disciples are freaking out. It's a ghost. 
we're all dead. This is the end, you know? And they're starting to sing Elton John songs or something to each other. Anyway, that's dumb. Anyway, uh, that was in a movie. Let's return. Here we go. So Jesus starts walking up, and there's one disciple. Anybody remember who it was? Our boy Pete, right? And Pete's peering through the storm, and he's looking, and he's like, I think that's Jesus. And he calls out to him. He says, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus is like, yeah, buddy. And he's like, if that's really you, super cool. It's in the Greek. And I'm coming out. And Jesus is like, let's dance, bro. And so here comes Peter out of a perfectly good boat in a terrifying storm walking on the waves towards his Savior. His worship, his awe, his trust, his faith enabled him to do something that humans don't do. You got to know Peter's telling that story at dinner parties later in life. Let me tell you about the time I walked on the Sea of Galilee, right? Now everybody likes to skip forward to the part where he sinks and blah, blah, blah. That's in there. But he walked on the water. And as he's walking out towards Jesus, don't forget, there's 11 guys sitting back in the boat. And I'm not here to judge the disciples of Jesus Christ. But in this moment, there was only one walking on the water. There was 11 white knuckle in the side of that boat. And here's what's happened in the church for 2,000 years. People get in. People are like, good. I got my faith. I got my discipleship started. But here's the mission. Go and make disciples. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to just hug the boat. I'm going to stay comfortable where I am. I'm going to take care of me and mine. Disciple my family, love my wife, but I'm going to hug the boat when it comes to the mission of being available to God to be used in a world that desperately needs them. I'm going to hug the boat. And I'm saying in those moments, those decisions, there's a diminished worship happening. We're not full in, all in with Jesus to where we can walk where he calls us to walk. Now, the, <laughs> the time I got left, let me go through the verses that most people know. It starts out with Jesus verifying his authority. In verse 18, it tells us this. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's basically setting up, hey man, you gotta listen to what I say next. I'm the boss. And certainly, if we are here to live in, in a way that glorifies God, us obeying his son is top shelf. Jerry, uh, Jerry Greaves did a great job preaching last week. And appreciated him coming and doing that. But he talked to us about abiding in God's word and God's word abiding in us. He mentioned this uh, as, as he was talking about that. He says, listen, man, if you say, uh, you know, like Jesus was, uh, you know, often spoken to, uh, you're our Lord, you're our, you're, you're our rabbi, you're our Messiah. And he says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't even do what I tell you. How can you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I command. A little bit later in John's gospel, he says this. He says, hey, you say you love me. You want to show that you love me? Then do what I've asked you to do, John 14, 15. Jesus is making a command. This is the edict, the mission for all of his followers. On his authority, he says, Verse 18, go, and, or 19, go and make disciples. We're going to talk about for the next, next few weeks what that looks like. Go and make disciples. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who's heard that one before? Anybody? Yeah. 
Baptism is this uh, beautiful picture of what happens when a life goes from being without Christ to being with him. It's a spiritual death. You are dying to your old self and being raised to a new life with him. Baptizo is this Greek word that means to submerge, to immerse, to soak, to uh, saturate. And the mission of the church is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who are lost without him and to saturate them in that truth to the point where they by faith receive him and begin life anew with him. He goes on and he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. If the going and making disciples starts with us leaving the cozy confines of this place, everybody knows Sundays are about Mondays. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody get that? Like this isn't like the end all be all of the church. It's just the refueling place. It's the reminding place. Sundays are about Mondays. So that as we go, wherever God takes us, in fact, the Greek is actually, as you are going, wherever you go, make disciples. It starts with us sharing the gospel with people who don't know it. Just dropping seeds. I had a guy just recently that I met at the golf course. I scared him away. We were texting back and forth. He called me. He was so freaked out by this one thing. We had, we had just golfed on, on this particular Friday. He called me that afternoon. He says, you're not going to believe what happened. He lives down uh, south of Sarasota, comes up and golfs at the golf course that we have here in Brandon every once in a while. And uh, that's how I met him. And he's like, dude, I was driving back and I'm driving behind this, uh, this, uh, you know, this big work truck. And all of a sudden I see the ladder that's hanging on the side of this work truck come loose. It went right through the, the passenger side of my windshield. Can you imagine driving along and all of a sudden you see it, it's moving, it's now, and it's sticking out of your windshield. It's right there. And he, so he's telling me this story, all you know, freaked out and amazed that he's still alive. And of course I ran him down and told him what, you know, for and how to. And, and, and I just stopped in that phone call and I was like, bro, God is trying to get your attention. Because he matched you out of the blue with a preacher. And then on the way home from that, you know, hanging out for four hours in a golf round, <laughs> he showed you how frail life can be. You need to start paying attention. Oh, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Call me if you want to golf again. I felt compelled to, to text him the next day. And I laid the, you know, basically, hey, man, more of the same. You need Jesus. I'm still, that's when I scared him off. I'm still waiting. I'm going to text him again after this and just say, hey, man, we good? But that, listen, those little things. Didn't know the guy for a couple months ago, but he's in my life. You have those people in your life that it's just like, hey, teeing them up. No, golfing, golf pun intended. But God just tees them up and says, hey, man, talk to them about Jesus. Those are the ones that are outside. Then there's the ones who are inside, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Once they've trusted Christ, we uh, we've initiated and now we indo indoctrinate. We, we deepen and we develop and we teach the truth over and over again. And we do all of this as I close because of the end of this command. This is Jesus' promise to us. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Now that's a comfort to us, those of us who have faith with him. Um, we are secure in this life with Christ. We were... <laughs> 
rescued from the consequence of our sin. He took it on himself at the cross. When we put our faith in him, he took us and grafted us to the tree, Romans tell us. Uh, He adopted us into his family. We are joint heirs with Jesus, and he is with us till the end of the age. We will never not be with Jesus. Remember what they said at his birth? He's Emmanuel. Anybody remember that? He's God with us. The Son of God is ours. He's with us. But he tells his disciples in this particular context that, lo, I'll be with you until the end of the age. Look at me. and We're almost done. Because when he asks us to do something, he promises to make it possible. His power is what changes your life, my life. It's what rearranges people's thinking. It's his power by his spirit through our words as he directs us that draws people into life with him. And so it's this opportunity that we've been given. I'm not saying it won't feel risky. I'm not saying it won't be terrifying. I'm not saying you're not going to sit there when it comes to the mission and and just want to white-knuckle the boat. But I'm saying if you'll just trust, if you'll worship, if you'll move, by his power he'll work through us. It's how it's always worked. It's how it happened when you put your faith in Jesus. God worked through someone, whether it was a preacher or a parent or a friend, and you responded to the call. So now, may we as his church not be on a maintenance mode setting. May we forever be reminded of this mission. Everybody take your phones out real quick. Just one last thing. If you'll just do this, Is anybody taking their phones out? Anybody? Okay, good. Thank you. If you'll just do this, go in your notes app, send yourself a text. I don't care how you do it. I want you to do two things. One, I want you to write down the name of someone that you know that does not know Jesus. Probably the first name that just comes to mind. Maybe it's someone you've been praying for, working on, sharing with. Great. But maybe it's just you haven't been doing this and you're like, I don't know where to start. Start with that person. Write their name down. Start praying for them. The mission is a pray and play endeavor. We pray first and then we go play. We go engage in the mission as God has given it to us. Pray for those who don't know Jesus. That's the first thing. Next thing, think of someone who does know Jesus but is not with us or him. Someone who used to be here, someone who used to be at another church, someone who you know walked the walk, talked the talk, but is just far, far away. Maybe they're in your family. Um, Maybe they're, you know, a former member of a life group you've been a part of. Someone who needs to return. Here's all we're going to do. Write those two names down. We're going to start praying for them. If you want to go varsity, you can set up some reminders to call them this week, to initiate with them conversations this week, to ask the hard questions of the one who's been kind of, and to engage in the conversation with the ones who have never known. That's my hope for us as we move forward. And we're going to talk more about this as the month continues.